with Radix, where we fit, I would say, is kind of like in a happy middle ground where we are completely on site, right? So we're like on the side of you can use this in whatever situation you want. We are highly accessible, highly functional, highly reusable. You know, it's all open. It's an open API. But we also try to make it as easy to use as possible. So the developer experience is one big thing for us where we don't want people to have to assemble a bunch of things and wire states together or wire like refs and things like that, you know, in React. So we try to make it so that out of the box, it just works. All you have to do is add some styles. And uh, to do that, we essentially provide a component-based API where by default, you know, you have all the parts that you can put together and compose together. And that means you have access to all the elements. Hello and welcome to Pod Rocket. Today I'm here with Benoit Grilla, who is a software engineer at um, Work WorkOS. How are you, Benoit? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well and excited to to learn about some of what things you've built in the past and things you're building moving forward. Um, so you were one of the creators of modules, right? Uh, so modules was uh, a startup I was working at. Uh, I I was working there uh, on a Radix UI, which is, the, I think, the project that you're, you're referring to. It's a, a sort of a accessible component library for React. Component library for React. And what was or what was or is Modules? So Modules was a startup that was uh, so in the design space, in the design tooling space. Um, we um, were basically trying to um, create a tool similar to Figma, um, but working with like real components. So if you think about all the complexities of layout and all these things and the sort of like uh, developer designer handoff, you know, um, all of these things were kind of at the forefront. Got it. So basically kind of like a visual GUI based editor, like a, I guess WYSIWYG you would call it, where kind of you can design components visually, but unlike Figma where you're like doing it more in, in like a design tool, this would be actually editing real real uh, like React components. That's correct, yeah. And then you would have the opportunity to, you know, export that and then have that actually kind of like usable, you know. And because the big thing with Figma, you can already see day to day, like uh, in the past few years or so, like Figma is kind of like, in a way, catching up with what the web is able to do. You know, they they, they integrated things like uh, Flickbox layout and things like that, like auto layout, all these kind of things. They, they're trying to sort of like fill the gap that, you know, design tools, they just, rectangles on a canvas, right? They're just like, they're not like real components with like constraints and all that. So there's definitely a need there. And obviously they're trying to sort of like do that. And so we were attacking it from the other front, which was like, you know, straight starting straight from like web technologies basically. Right. And I mean, I feel like WYSIWYG, what you see is what you get, uh, for those not familiar with the acronym, editors have been around in many iterations kind of as old as the web itself i mean back in the day dreamweaver <laughs> exactly every a lot of us kind of first got our start on dreamweaver um but then over the years i've seen you know every year or two i feel like i see a new one um that kind of gains momentum maybe and then i but there's it doesn't feel like there's kind of like a a gold standard and there's no one's kind of built like a a company as like ubiquitous as Figma in term that is a WYSIWYG component or web editor. So curious, like what was special or kind of what was like 
the angle you had with modules that was maybe different than kind of the, the prior art? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, that's, I think partly like one reason is uh, it's very difficult to build. Uh, it's just very difficult to get right. And um, there's tons of little details, you know. Um, I think like we tried a few, we tried a few different approaches, you know, we, um, we kind of approached it more from the um, systematic design point of view, you know, we had sort of like design systems in mind. We did a, a lot of, of work actually on there, which is kind of like partially, well, it's a big reason why, you know, RedXUI exists basically because we initially kind of started more um, on a sort of a, a, a composer idea, which, you know, you could sort of build entire interfaces. Then so, then we sort of moved move toward more like of a design build, a design system builder, right? Where, you know, people would be able to uh, come and just style a bunch of components and then, you know, use that as their components, you know, because we saw just tons, tons of teams, you know, uh, building their own design systems, most of them, you know, not accessible and, you know, just reinventing the wheel and that kind of stuff. So we thought, you know, actually most people, what they want is they just want to be able to like make it look the way they want. Um, so for that, we needed to have a bunch of components, you know, that were good quality. And this is kind of where it all started for, for Radix. Um, then, you know, we, we sort of went back and forth. We then eventually sort of went back onto the sort of the composer idea and had other ideas on that. Um, ultimately, you know, we we didn't really find like product market fit because again, back to the original um, question, is quite difficult, you know, and there's a lot of there's a lot of barriers to break, you know, in terms of like what people can make uh, out of it, you know, what what use do they get out of it, you know, is it actually getting in the way? Is it actually uh, helping them? You know, um, I do think from a, from a design standpoint, like there was a lot of like benefits. From, from being able to edit straight, like, you know, code component, like you, you get exposed much early on to, you know, maybe browser quirks or what, you know, things like that, that you do in design is all static and you get handed over a design from a designer and then you have to redo everything from scratch, right? Maybe you just copy some colors and that's about it. But here you could extract so much more value already out of it. Um, that was definitely one thing that was a bit different. What were you able to take an existing component and then edit it in modules, or did you have to like start from the ground up designing a component in modules? Because that I remember that was always something with WYSIWYG editors where some could edit an existing site, but it was always a bit clunky. Versus if you kind of start from the ground up in their format, then it, it usually worked better. Yeah, no, we had we hadn't gone that far. We were we were kind of like working within the editor really. Um, I think, like you said, like doing doing it both ways, it's another level of complexity as well that you need to sort of abstract. You know, um, it's like you know you need to have a layer of conversion basically, like between the you know a component that's been written by someone else. Things like you know, I think some like like framers try to do that, but like even then, it's kind of limited. You know, um, it's very hard to do that. I think if you want to do it both ways, I think ultimately like. The goal that we had was not, necess not necessarily have a thing that you can just, you know, build and export, and that's it. That's your, you know, that's your site that you publish. You know, like similar to what um, Framer does, for example. But it was more like a, a design tool, really, like a way to sort of like people wouldn't use Figma, maybe you know, they would just use that instead. And then 
it would not be the final the final output, but it would be so much closer already to the final output. You'd be getting into like you know um, more of the you know the the reality of what the medium is going to be in the end. Enjoying the podcast? Consider hitting that follow button for more great episodes. And so tell me a bit about Radix. So was that a project that you started before or during or kind of after development of modules? Yeah, and also that was, so it obviously initially it wasn't called Radix, but uh, I, it's, I was hired specifically for that, right? Basically at the beginning, they, you know, I joined when quite early on when we started to need to build these components to be able to um, use within our editor or within our design system builder, for example. And so the whole goal was to build a suite of components like this uh, that were like highly accessible and functional. Um, and these were called primitives back then, you know, I mean, they're still called Redux UI primitives because Redux UI is a bigger umbrella, but like people mostly refer to it as Redux UI now. Um, and we went through a few iterations of this over the, over the years, you know, this is, you know, although now it's been out like publicly open source for maybe like a year or maybe a bit more now, like it's more like maybe two to three years old now, you know, so it's, it was like a few different versions. Some, some code in there is probably still that old. Um, so yeah, there was a few different iterations. Essentially, like we, we kind of like started from the, the, the design system builder point of view where we had a lot of control over like the entire sort of end-to-end, um, you know, uh, application, if you will. So we could make a lot of decisions in terms of like styling, for example, and it was pretty closed compared to what it is today. You know, today is a very open component library. Back then it was a lot of like rules that we could sort of like make up and we, we had a, a, our own sort of like styling interface and all that. It was not like just pure CSS, you know, because everything was going through the editor. Eventually we realized that it was not really going to work like that because people, you know, wanted more control or that kind of stuff. And then we sort of like made a move like progressively towards making everything more open. And when I mean more open, I mean, in multiple ways, you know, uh, the fact that Facebook, we we wanted to sort of like decouple that from the editor. So we wanted to be able to potentially have people use these components, you know, in their own apps, like outside of the editor. And maybe that would bring them people back into our editor. You know, that was a kind of a way to sort of like hook. And, um, and then that evolved into like making things as open as possible in terms of like have open APIs and be, be like completely unstyled so that people can use any styling library or vanilla CSS or CSS module or SAS or CSS JS, whatever they want. Um, and that led to what it is today, which then at this point is when, um, you know, when we decided to do all that, that's kind of when I pitched to the co-founders to go open source with this because back then it was not open. So this was like a, you know, a private thing internally. And I thought like, this is a huge opportunity because we need to do that for ourselves. We might as well just do it for everybody to to use our site, and it's going to give us the the biggest sort of like um, you know pool of users to try our components in all different scenarios. That we you know we dock with all our stuff, but you know we you can never do everything. You know, like people use your components in lots of different ways that you've never thought about. So you get a lot of benefit from that. Um, and thankfully, they were really on board about this. Uh, so that's what we did, and. That was one of the best things in my career, to be honest. Like, um, you know, that's still to this day one of the things that gets me the, the most enjoyment, like working on open source and having like this 
impact, you know, not just for the company I work for, but for other companies too, you know. And so, you know, there's a lot of UI components and frameworks and component kits and, you know, there's a lot out there. So talk to me a bit about, you know, what, what's different about Radix? How does it, what's, you know, where, where does it fit in well in terms of what type of projects? What do you recommend people use? So, I mean, primarily, obviously, it's React. So, the, you know, first of all, we'll say it's uh, it's uh, for React projects. Um, secondly, like, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of component libraries, um, but you can sort of, like, classify them in different areas, you know. First of all, like, you have a lot of component libraries that kind of, like, you can use straight out of the gate, you know. They're all ready and they're all styled. Maybe you can theme a little bit, you know. But these are going to be fine for some people that maybe don't care too much about the visual style and just want to build the UI and you know and it, and it works. Things that, that that that's going to be things like maybe Chakra UI or things like that. Um, and, and these are great, but you don't have that much control necessarily over how it looks, you know, or maybe some of the functionality or you know extend it and that kind of stuff. Then you have the other end of the spectrum, which is like there are a few libraries that are um, oriented towards you know building like functional components, accessible components, and, and, and you know, sort of like, you know, make them extendable and all that and build from scratch, you know, but they kind of like on the end of the spectrum, that's a lot of like do it yourself sort of, you know, you have to assemble all the pieces together. These are things like maybe like React Aria, you know, uh, which are uh, really great from the accessibility standpoint. With Radix, the, the, where we fit, I would say is like, we kind of like in a happy middle ground where we are completely unstyled, right? So we're like on the side of like the just you can re you can use this in whatever situation you want. We are highly accessible, highly functional, highly reusable, highly you know it's all open. It's an open API, but uh, we also try to make it as easy to use as possible. So the developer experience is, is one big thing for us where. We don't want people to have to assemble a bunch of things and wire, you know, states together or wire like refs and things like that, you know, in React. So we try to make it so that out of the box, it just works. All you have to do is add some styles. And um, to do that, we essentially provide a component-based API where by default, you know, you have all the parts that you can put together and compose together. And uh, that means you have access to all the elements. Essentially, you almost have a one-to-one -one mapping between a part and a DOM element, you know, almost. I say almost because there are a few cases where maybe there might be one or two nodes that are not exposed to you. But that means that you can always, you know, attach a ref to something. You can add an extra attribute if you need to. You know, if you need to add an extra attribute to target something and test, for example, anything like that, right? Whereas, like, sometimes when th these things are not exposed, it makes it difficult to work with. So, yeah, I would say that's kind of where, where we fit, and that's kind of the main difference between uh, some of these libraries. We, we are kind of, like, at the level where we always think about like a big mantra that we have is like, we want to make it work for like 95% of the use cases. There's always going to be, you know, some strange off, you know, use cases that you can't support everything, but we always try to make it work for like 90, 95% of the use cases. And that's also true for, um, for like uh, different levels of uh, skills in terms of developers. Like one thing that we noticed is we actually do get a lot of, you know, like uh, uh, junior developers or people who are starting with React, you know, and they, they want to do the right thing, use this, you know, these accessible components and all that. But sometimes some of them, like, they don't know much about React, right? So you, you'd you be surprised about some of the questions that we get sometimes, you know? And so I can't help but, like, look at this and be like, man, like, 
if you have to use like something where you have to piece everything together, like they would be completely lost, you know? So we, I feel like we hit the right spot in terms of like, you know, abstraction, if that makes sense. It's Emily again, producer for Pod Rocket, and I want to talk to you. Yeah, you, the person who's listening but won't stop talking about your new favorite front-end framework to your friends, even though they don't want to hear about it anymore. Well, I do want to hear about it because you're really important to us as a listener. So what do you think of Pod Rocket? What do you like best? What do you absolutely hate? What's the one thing in the entire world that you want to hear about? Edge computing? Weird little component libraries? How to become a productive developer when your Wi-Fi is out? I don't know. And that's the point. If you get in contact with us, you can rant about how we haven't had your favorite dev advocate on or tell us we're doing great, whatever. And if you do, we'll give you a $25 gift card. That's pretty sweet, right? So reach out to us. Links are in the description. $25 gift card. I'm curious to have you elaborate a bit on like, what are some of the challenges in terms of accessibility when you're thinking about building kind of standard web interactions like dialogue and drop down and slider and like, you know, things that almost every website has, like what's hard about making those accessible and how does Radix help? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So, um, if, 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 if anybody is interested, like there's actually a great talk that, uh, um, Pedro who worked at, at Mojo's, uh, made about this specifically, which was called like, I think it was called, so you think you can be able to drop down. <laughs> it was kind of like, like that. Um, it, it's, it's, it's great because it shows you essentially like what are all these pitfalls that people fall into when they try to build their own or when, they, you know, try to build like a, let's say a naive version of it, you know, um, essentially like, there are so many different things that go into it. You know, there are things like um, focus trapping, you know, to make sure that, you know, the focus doesn't get out of like um, the context that you're in when you're in a dialogue, for example. Uh, there's also like hiding things from the accessibility tree, you know, uh, for, for screen readers, for example, so that if as a user, I'm a, as a sighted user, I open a dialogue and, you know, I have an overlay and I cannot, I cannot you know, um, interact with what's outside of it. I can only interact with what's inside. It should be exactly the same for uh, a screen reader user, right? So things like that. Keyboard uh, control, you know, uh, being able to operate everything with the keyboard, that's also a big thing. Some users can't use the mouse or, you know, things like that. So when you're going to drop down, there's added things like, you know, uh, all of the above that we just discussed, plus other things like um, uh, collision support, you know, these things are all part of accessibility. They don't necessarily, like some of them are just functionality, but they are part of accessibility in, in the sense that, you know, you're trying to make it so that the component is usable by as many people as possible in most, in, in, in as many situations as possible, right? So for example, if your screen is smaller and you, you know, you try to open the thing that's on the right and it can't fit, then you would have to, you know, switch to the other side, things like that, or like that happens more vertically, for example, from top to bottom. Um, all of these things need to be included in these components. And, you know, things that you see sometimes in even some of the library that I mentioned is that they offer, for example, the pure accessibility part of it, like things like area attributes and, you know, um, focus trapping and things like that. But they might not necessarily, for example, provide some of the extra functionality that, you know, feel like it's needed for some of these components, you know, typically like collision handling and positioning, for example, they might just leave that up to you, which is a big gap, you know, like if you're a user, you know, you're a junior, junior developer and, you know, okay, you use that, maybe you manage to build that, 
but then you still have to build this entire like position logic on top of it, use another library, maybe piece it together, you know. So we try to have a, a, a solution that encompasses all of these things together. So if someone out there um, has a React application, wants to use Radix, like what does it look like to get started and what's what's kind of the adoption story and can you adopt gradually? Do you have to kind of jump in all at once? What, what, what does that look like? That's a great question. Yeah, so um, it's actually pretty uh, straightforward. So we make it, again, like a, 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 a developer friendly in the sense that, yeah, you don't have to jump all in straight away. Like every component is... Uh, individually versioned. So every component is a single package. Um, and so you can, for example, say, uh, I'm just going to start with the dialog, you know, a simple one. I'm just going to install the package for the dialog. And then I'm going to start using that. If I'm happy with it, you know, I can then start using other packages. And we've seen tons of teams doing that, you know, they start, you know, with one or two components and then gradually they start adopting more and more components. Like right now we have maybe 30 components or something like that. Um, it's quite often that's how it starts, you know, like you start using a dialogue uh, and then, oh, that's cool, you know, start using drop, drop down menu, you know, that this, some components that get reused quite a bit like that. Um, but then otherwise, that's it. Yeah, you install the package, um, you import in React, you have access to all of the parts. And essentially, you, you compose all of the parts. So you're going to separate ball. I'm going to add, you know, my dialogue, my dialogue route. And then I'm going to add like my trigger, my content, my overlay, you know, and you have access to everything. Um, and all you have to do at this point is style it with whichever way you want, you know, can be adding class name if you want. That's all, that, that's all you need, literally, even just raw CSS. So what's on the roadmap for Radix? What, what are you most excited about over the next year or so? So um, we've just recently released version one. Uh, uh, so like a stable release. I mean, it was stable for a long time and we just... Uh, officially sort of like move to V1 in terms of Semver, uh, which was already a great a great move um, because we saw we saw tons and tons of teams using it, even though we were still in the kind of like the beta version ranges and people were depending on it a lot. Um, so this went out like, um, I think a month ago or something like that. Um, and so right now we are focused on... Um, you know, fixing up some of, some of the bugs that came up. Uh, mostly, actually, it's more like some extra features that people are needing for some components, things like, you know, uh, the select, for example, which is one of our big components where um, some people, you know, felt that it was a bit too opinionated in some areas, you know, which I agree with. So we, we're going to try to make it a little bit more open, which is obviously what we try to do most of the time. Um, Past that, you know, we have a roadmap of like some components that uh, we are interested in building. Uh, some of them already started. Some of them also even uh, started by the community, which is great to see as well. Like things like menu bar, for example. We have a we have a carousel that was in progress as well. Um, and you know, after that, it's really um, it's really about you know sort of like adding features and then adding more components. You know, we 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 try we tend to prioritize you know trying to like add new components if possible. But obviously these components like take a long time to build. <laughs> so just to give an idea, you know, like something like the select, you know, uh, uh, took like you know I probably took like months to build that, like f three to four months, you know, to build just a single component like that. So. It gives you an idea. Uh, so some sometimes you know things can feel a little bit slow, um, but then you know from the um, we also have like now like uh, from the work OS side of things, you know we also tend to try to 
uh, help that front as well. You know, for, so one 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 thing that we did recently is like we we actually just uh, today we launched a new version of the Docs for WorkOS, and so we helped a lot with that as well. And with that comes, for example, um, trying to prioritize maybe certain features or certain you know fixes or whatever that are needed for specific projects. Um, so it's kind of a balancing act, you know, between like what the community wants, what uh, what WorkOS needs, um, and what we want to work on, you know. So I'd like to understand a bit more kind of about WorkOS overall and in particular, like how does modules and then Radix like all fit into kind of the mission and, and product behind WorkOS? So just to be a, a bit of background, I guess. Uh, so Modules uh, was the startup I was working at and uh, where we created Radix. And uh, we got acquired by WorkOS essentially uh, maybe six months ago. Um and it's a quite a nice fit because uh, a nice, it's quite a nice fit because um, uh, WorkOS essentially is a very developer-led company as well. Where you know uh, the whole point of WorkOS is kind of to provide uh, developers with a set of you know tools to 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 you know create essentially um, SaaS applications, right? Um, so you have all things from like, you know, authentication and SSO and directory sync. And now we just released audit logs as well, you know, so all of these tools that are needed for like, uh, service applications, you know, like that to, to, to provide, you know, like an enterprise ready software essentially. Right. And so the way, you know, Radix fits into that is that, you know, it's also like the goal is to be the sort of like the de facto component library to use to build your SaaS application, if, if that makes sense, you know, because already today, tons of, you know, startups um, just go straight to React, for example, to build a product, you know, and so it only makes sense to be able to offer, you know, uh, great components to use like that out of the bat. And we already, we've already seen, you know, tons, tons of companies like Versal and Code Sandbox and all that using Radix to, for, for that reason, you know? And so that fits in really well in that in that sort of like approach of like WorkOS is providing more and more of these building blocks, if that makes sense. So Benoit, thank you so much for joining. Um, it's been great, uh, you know, learning about Radix and modules and WorkOS and um, kind of the whole the whole uh, suite there. So really appreciate you joining and um, we'll put links to some of these projects in the episode description for anyone else out there who's interested in listening. Great. Thanks for having me. Hey, this is Emily, one of the producers for PodRocket. I'm so glad you're enjoying this episode. You probably hear this from lots of other podcasts, but we really do appreciate our listeners. Without you, there would be no podcasts. And because of that, it would really help if you could follow us on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to bring you conversations with great devs like Evan Yu and Rich Harris. In return, we'll send you some awesome PodRocket stickers. So check out the show notes on this episode and follow the link to claim your stickers as a small thanks for following us on Apple Podcasts.